What up, what up, what up, what up? We're back, everybody. It's Real Talk Boston. This is part two of our one-on-one with Joseph Two Bennett. We got Joey Bennett on the line. We got Aria Dan, the place to be. What's up, everybody? What's going on? What's going on, Sonny? What's going on now? How y'all doing? What's going on, the listeners of the Real Talk Boston? How y'all doing today? <laughs> We're living. Yes, everybody's doing that. great. Yeah. Trying to get the interview done with you, wrap up part two. You know, the listeners, we've already released part one. And, you know, Joey, I believe when we last spoke, we were talking about... Um, I think we were talking about the Rose Club, but I know that the, the question that um, we wanted to ask you was, how did you end up where you are right now? Because, you know, for the listeners, if you, if you haven't listened to part one, you're just tuning in, um, Joey is currently, has currently been incarcerated. So how did you get to this point where you are right now, Joey? Um, I was the Department of Corrections in Suffolk County District Attorney's Office had uh I feel colluded together and you know in order to lock me up they gave me a, a case that basically amounts to a complaint basically amounts to a disciplinary report um and felt that I violated my pre-trial conditions of bail release and moved forward to have my bail revoked and they sent me to Nashville Street Jail pending the outcome of this uh case with the, dis- the Department of Corrections. Okay. Now, about the Rose Club incident, because I'm not sure how much we touched base on that. Can you give us just a brief recap of what that what what occurred at the club that night? Alright, so I'm going to give you what everybody else has already spoken on. Um, basically, we went to the Rose Club, me and a few of my friends. Um, one of my friends got into a fight with a kid from Orchard Park. He was trying to take his drink or whatever. My friend threw the drink in his face, punched him in the face. They wind up fighting. Um, I ran over, helped one of my friends. We was fighting all together. We all got pushed out the nightclub. We all got pushed out the back door where I was pushed out. But, you know, me being who I am, man, everybody seemed to think that I'm just the person that gets in the fights and all this other mess. And... You know, someone wound up getting killed in the club that night. I was not even in the club. I wasn't around it. I wasn't there. But they have, the Boston police had um, someone come forward and, you know, talk to talk to them and implicate me in the shooting. And I was, um, went to trial, uh, was found guilty, along with um, another shooting that I was found guilty of, which I had touched on earlier. Um, yeah, that's the situation at hand. It was guy got killed, unfortunately, in front of 200 people. The Commonwealth was able to find one person who had open cases, and he started cooperating with the police in order to get his cases dismissed. We didn't know that at the time of my trial. We didn't find that out until, like, 2008. And uh, the case came forward. How many witnesses were in the club that night, Joe? Over 200 witnesses. Over 200 witnesses was in the club. And the Commonwealth was only able to produce one witness. That said, I killed this friend. But because they took me to trial, yeah, he had open cases. He admitted he had open cases. He was on probation. He was on the run, actually. He had a warrant for a probation surrender. Um, So they offered him a deal. What we found out in 2008, they offered him a deal. And he said whatever the police wanted him to say. And he implicated me as the person who shot the guy in the club. And police ran with that. 
I went to trial, got found guilty of it. Um, and this yeah. is this is the case that you you know you were in the newspaper for when you were released. You did twenty two years for this case. Yeah, this is the case that I was in the newspapers for. It was on the news, and um, I got released April thirtieth, twenty nineteen. A judge had found out that um you know. There's an avalanche of witnesses that said I didn't do it, and he decided that it's time for him to uh, release me because they felt like, in the interest of justice, that I should be released. Okay, now bring us up to speed. Okay, so you're released, you're out. How do we get here? How are we in this position right now? Yeah, what, what, well, what are they holding you on? Right now, I'm being held, like I said, from the Department of Corrections filed a case against me. They sent the summons in the mail back in October of 2019, and I had to appear in court on December 18th of 2019. Um, basically, you know, everything I was trying to do for the prisons, the POC didn't like. They didn't like the fact that I was trying to have people call in and speak. So they started removing my phone number off of some of the guys' um, pen number list so they couldn't call me anymore. They started giving guys um, disciplinary reports for talking to me as if I was the media, they told them. Um, so I feel well, like, on, you know, they just on. figured out a way. Hold on, Joey. I don't mean to interrupt you, but can you fill the listeners in a little bit more about what you were actually doing um, as far as calling the brothers up and giving them a voice to talk to you heard from the inside? Fill, fill the listeners in on your time and the work you were doing well, the, the, the reason why I was giving the brothers a voice to talk because when I was in jail serving my 22 years, I didn't have that platform. I didn't have no one to talk to. I didn't have no one to push my case out there. So I figured when I came home, I was going to do that. I was I, My plan was to give the guys that I just left the opportunity to have their cases exposed and their injustices exposed and their wrongful convictions exposed. So I gave them the platform to talk. I used my social media, which are on my Facebook page, you know, I was using that to have guys call in who have um, similar situations that I know that they didn't do it, but nobody can speak up for them. Nobody has came forward. So some of these guys been in jail 23 years, 25 years, 28 years. You know, there's another guy that's been in jail almost 42 years, and people know he didn't do it. But, you know, after a 42-year span, you know, his witnesses are no longer around, and he's still serving time, but he's still fighting. So my whole thing with y'all time was, basically giving them a platform that I didn't have, which was to let people hear their case. And similar to what y'all doing for me right now. Exactly. Because okay. mm-hmm. um, they found out on the inside, obviously the calls are reported, the call that we're doing right now is reported. So it got around that that's what you were doing. You said that they started removing your phone number from some of the inmates call it. Yeah, um, two guys in particular, my man, um, Odea, and my other guy, Roscoe, they, um, took my numbers off their call list, gave them the reports for talking to me, saying that they was talking to me on the media, and, you know, it was, it was, it was a situation where they just wanted to make sure that nobody spoke, nobody was able to call me anymore, and, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and act like when I was in jail, I was a, a saint, because I wasn't a saint, so, you know, the things that I was going through while I was in there, 
are the same things what they're going through now. And right now, as Susan Baranowski, the guys that are going through the torture and the, the things that you've been hearing about on the news, I was in that building. I know what that was like. So I can imagine what they're going through right now. Now, and, is that Shirley like Mass? They like it. Is that the Shirley yeah, Mass? Shirley Mass. Okay. Yes. And that's actually where the case came from, Shirley. <laughs> that's who pressed charges on me, Shirley. Shirley pressed charges on me. So I just left them. So they know me very well in that jail, and they wasn't happy with the things I was doing. So, okay. So that happens, and then what 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 occurs next to get you in the position that you're in? Okay, so I go to court and. AMS. I never even heard of AMS. I just know I got to show up there, go to court. Um, the district attorney in AMS moves to revoke my, my bail and then try to put a new bail on me. But thankfully, the judge seen right through it and was like, I'm not placing another bail on him when he walked in here. He's not a flight risk or anything at the time because I had a bracelet on. So he didn't understand why would they be trying to re revoke my bail. So what happened was um, she took a short recess and called the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office and told the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office um, that the judge is not locking me up, so what do they want me to do? What do they want her to do, I should say? And she came back in the court and said to, to the judge that the um, Suffolk County wants, to, wants me to report to probation in Suffolk County. I found that to be strange because I never had a probation officer in Suffolk County the whole time I was home. I never had to report to Suffolk County. So when they told me to report to Suffolk County, I'm like, well, I don't have probation there, but okay, I'll go there anyways, just because the judge had told me to make sure I go into court. And I went to court December 19th. I got there around 11 o'clock sometime, and uh, Suffolk County proceeded to revoke my bail, and I didn't have a clue that what was going on until the, the, the probation officer was like, no, nah, I'm not here, to, you're not here to see me, you're here to get your have a bail revocation hearing. I'm like, a bail revocation hearing? I'm only here to see probation. So they basically bamboozled me to go see the probation officer, which the probation officer bamboozled me to go in front of a judge. The judge found that because I had picked up a new case, regardless of the case being basically a disciplinary report, that um, I violated my pretrial conditions of release and told me that he was sending me to jail. <laughs> Hmm. There I am. And that was December 19th. Okay. And while you, okay, when you were there, okay, now they locked you up. You have to sit. Wasn't there something like you were supposed to be released and then they put you back in? Yeah, I had, um, I was, the judge that had, um, revoked my bill, he only revoked it for 16 days where he told me to come back on January 7th. Um, but there was a judge that took jurisdiction over my case. I don't know why, but she disliked me. So on January 6th, she seen my name. I was supposed to appear in court on January 7th. And, um, she took jurisdiction over my case and told my attorney that she's not bringing me in on January 7th because she feels like 16 days is not long enough for me to be sitting in jail considering I picked up a new case on pretrial conditions. This was a judge I had an argument with basically because I was fighting for my curfew to be extended and she didn't like the fact that I was speaking on my own behalf, so she took it personal. Um, when she seen my name, she took the case, she told the judge, she told my attorney that she's not bringing me into court. So my attorneys told her, like, you know, that's not right. Um, 
I was only sentenced to do 16 days and I was going to be released again. So what she did was on the 7th, she called out sick. She didn't even come to work. And next thing I know, that was on a Tuesday. I went into court that Tuesday. My lawyer told me what happened, but my lawyer proceeded to tell me. My lawyer proceeded to tell me that, um, you know, excuse the um, background noise. This is a raw. It's all right. Yeah, exactly. It's raw. Um, they know what time it is. <laughs> if they didn't listen to the first part, they better go listen to it so they can get hip to the second. Now go ahead. <laughs> All right, so so the judge proceeded to um, not come to court on the seventh. She called out sick and told my lawyer that she's not putting anything on the record that I need to serve ninety days. And um, I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know that until I got to court. But when I got to court, that wasn't even the problem. The problem was that the district attorney's office proceeded to have a conversation with my attorney because my attorney's obligated to tell me what type of conversation they had. He came back and told me that the DA. Rachel Rollins' office had told him that they will resolve my case on January 8th. The very next day, I will go home if I pled guilty to time served for the murder and immunity from the Commonwealth. Now, for people that don't know, if I go in there and plead guilty and I say I killed this man, they would have let me go home on January 8th. Walked out of the courthouse. Okay, now we're cooking. So, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because I told them, no, thank you, I'll sit and wait. Uh, I, I'm not pleading guilty to a murder I did not commit. That's first. And second, mm-hmm. I'm not sitting here allowing them to bully me into taking time served because they felt like they locked me up and I needed to shut up. And I felt like, you know, no, I'll sit and wait. Joey, so I got a question. Let's yeah. backtrack for a second. Now, you're out. You're out um, because obviously you're wrongfully convicted initially, right? So, what right. did they think you were wearing a bracelet? What, what was the truth? Well, the time, the well, the judge, the, good question. Um, When I was released, I guess, you know, the DA was upset that the judge gave me a new trial. So when we moved for a hearing to have bail, um, a bail hearing on pretrial conditions, um, the judge gave me a bail. You know, I made the bail. The district attorney was a little upset and started asking for all kinds of stipulations. The district attorney asked that I be placed on the ankle monitor bracelet with a, or at the time, a four o'clock curfew, or seven in the morning to four o'clock, I was able to go out the house. 4 o'clock p.m., that is. So, and on the weekends that I was um, on 24 hours house arrest, I couldn't leave the house. And that lasted from April 30th all the way till June 6th. So on June 6th, I went back into court and talked to the judge. Me and my attorney, we um, argued my motion and asked the judge, you know, will he consider allowing me to, you know, reacclimate myself with society by taking some of the restrictions off. So the judge decided to give me a curfew from seven in the morning to seven PM at night and no um no house arrest on the weekends. So I was able to go in and out the house seven days a week now. The district attorney then proceeded to say, Well we want to make sure he um has drug and uh alcohol monitored. Which mind you, I have not one drug case on my record. 
So I don't understand why they would say do drugs and alcohol monitor, but I understood. Now, it's cool. It is what it is. I was just happy to be home. So I accepted those conditions. And I remained on those conditions all the way up until December 18th. And no violation, no curfew missed, none of that. Everything was in order. So that's what happened. Okay. Okay. All right. I just had to know because that's, that's very strange that somebody will be under such close watch, not having, um, you know, having had been let go because you were wrongfully convicted. Um, so. Yeah, so my question for you, Joe, like we've done this interview, it's out there, like it's starting to pick up momentum. This is part two. What do you want the listeners, like what do you want people to know? What do you want to get out there? I want people to know that I'm sitting in jail. I was wrongfully convicted for 22 years and here I am back in jail over a disciplinary report. That's all it amounts to. But not only does it amount to a disciplinary report, that on December 23rd... You have one minute left. Oh, we, I am about to call back. So we're yeah. doing this raw. Y'all really heard that. <laughs> we're about to be calling back. <laughs> this call is being recorded and is subject to being monitored. If this is an attorney-client conversation, please hang up and call 617-704-6820. Once again, the phone call is being recorded. To accept this free call, press uh, a motion to have that sentence reinstated until I was locked up. On December 23rd, they put in a 60-page brief explaining that the judge made a mistake on letting me out, that I should have never been out, that I need to be back, my license need to be reinstated again. And um, right now it's pending, and my attorney's about to file our brief and explain why I shouldn't have never been in jail to begin with. And... Um, you know, and why I was wrongfully convicted. I don't understand the point of them trying to re, re, uh, how should I say it? I don't understand the point of them trying to put me back in prison for a life sentence when all she does is go into the newspapers and on the news and say that she's looking to serve justice instead of finality. When, you know, they had one witness, I had 16 witnesses. That's why the judge let me out. The judge felt that, uh, my case wasn't, uh, Fair. My trial wasn't fair. Mm-hmm. The justice wasn't served in my case. That in the interest of justice, that I should receive a new trial, and that because they know they can't retry me, they thought they was gonna bully me by locking me up into taking time served because they felt like I didn't want to be back in jail. I think she just did it to shut me up because I'm talking too much about the situation. Personally, I didn't have a problem with Rachel Rollins because my case happened under Dan Collins. She made this a point to take on this case. And she made it a point to disrespect my family. Right. In which, you know, kind of blows my mind because the letter that was sent to your aunt, the, you know, the initiative to go try to have the memorial for um, Mrs. Stewart in Mission Hill, like, 
it just blows my mind. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I smell a rat, though. I feel like, I feel like there's something there, and I think that it has to do with the last name Bennett. I think that Joey... And Stanley, well, you know, Joey in particular, his uncle also, um, given what seems to be a relationship between maybe her and the Stewart family, one can only say because it's been said. No, I'll say what the relationship is. I'll well, say what that relationship Okay, so this is what happened. Everybody knows about the Stewart case, but what people don't know about is that um, if you was a resident of Michigan projects back when the Stewart case happened, you were able to um, apply for Northeastern University or Wentworth Institute of Technology on a scholarship based around Carol DeMady Stewart. It was called the Carol DeMady Scholarship Fund, and it was geared towards residents of Mission Hill neighborhoods that went through the trauma of having their family embarrassed and, you know, humiliated all because of this man had uh, falsely identified my uncle as the shooter and the police falsely telling them that I implicated my uncle. So, mind you, there are people from Mission Hill Projects that applied for this scholarship that were denied. If they, they lived in Mission Hill, they were denied. They were denied to go to Northeastern. They were denied to go to Wentworth. Now, those are the two ones, two of the most prestigious schools, Wentworth for uh, technology and Northeastern for criminal justice. But I did research and I found out the reason why Rachel Rollins is celebrating Carol Stewart and was trying to do it in Mission Hill, but she was told she was not because of doing that. Nobody's going to approve of that. Okay. So she took him to Northeastern. She took him to Northeastern University. But I found out that Rachel wound up getting a scholarship under that Carol DeMady Stewart fund. And that's where oh. her criminal justice uh, began. Okay. So, mm-hmm. At Northeastern University, under the same thing that victimized my family, under the same case that humiliated the whole Mission Hill projects, she went to school under that scholarship. So I took it upon myself to feel like she victimized us. She wanted to talk to my aunt Diane about the Stewart case, but don't want to talk about my current case. That didn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to me either. And I'm pretty sure it won't make sense to the listeners because what is her end game here? Like well, what is she trying to prove? Yeah, what her. is she trying to prove? But but my I think what blows all of our biscuits is for her to honor Carol DeMady, regardless of receiving the scholarship, because that's a private matter. But to honor her publicly now that she's a DA, the first black female DA of the county, knowing the history, and we talked about this in part one, the, the manhunt, the torment, the torture, how Joey is still paying today, you know, for being the nephew of William Bennett. The fact that she would go ahead and, and, and make it a, a, a public spectacle to put this woman on a pedestal and say, you know, we're going to celebrate her as a victim of domestic violence, when there's so many others that you could, that don't that aren't attached to such a nasty um, um, spectacle. So I say I smell a rat. There's something funky about the way that Joey's case is being handled in relation to the DA's office and her relationship with that family. And, and I agree with you. Yeah, I can't put well, my finger on it. It's like something's up. Something's up. It just does none of this makes sense. 
Well, I can tell you, it's it's been like this since we I was 15 years old, 1989. My family's always been the the the, the butt of the Boston police's bullshit and and, and the Suffolk County's bullshit, and you know. It, She's just picking up where they left off, which I've been, when she first was elected, she gave so many prisoners hopes because she felt she went into these prisons and ran on justice reform and, you know, looking at cases and establishing a, um, a, 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 a integrity unit, a conviction integrity unit. And that was her platform she ran on. But I don't think she, other than the misdemeanor cases that she seems to be fighting for, um, she hasn't done anything for the guys that are in Norfolk that she goes to see that are sitting there that's waiting for her conviction integrity unit to open the doors for them. She didn't do that for me. And I sat down and I introduced myself to her. I told her who I was. She probably didn't put two and two together until she went into Mission Hill Projects and tried to have a celebration with people that has no association with my family at all, but they was misleading them into believing that they were speaking on behalf of the Bennett family, you know? And that, that's another thing that I was going to say, like she's rather focusing on these little crimes of theft and misdemeanors and whatever, which is causing bigger problems. People just, you know, freeloading and running out of stores with, you know, high end coats in, <laughs> in these small little mom and pop stores. And they think that they're going to get away with this, you know, with the crime. But unfortunately for them, it wasn't in her district. But there's bigger problems, like this whole situation. If she really wanted to do something for the Black community, at least, you know, start to try to heal what has been... How long has it been since um, the Stewart case, guys? Like, 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. It's still an open wound. It's still an open wound. And... and like the people in Mission Hill was trying to get around that and let it go, and by her to come into on um, October thirtieth to, to decide to or to, to celebrate it sometime in October, I don't know the exact date, but y'all probably could find it. Um, to come into my neighborhood and ask people to, you know, come out and support and, and to talk about the situation that happened—that was a victim. That was us being victimized all over again. My family, particularly. You know, because we still live in Mission Hill Projects. My aunts still live in Mission Hill Projects. Both of my aunts. My cousins still live in Mission Hill Projects. These are kids that didn't know about the Stewart case when they were growing up, you know. So to victimize our family and that community altogether was a very, um, not a good look on her part. And then when I had, I had a state rep sit in my living room. And when I ran down all of the things that took place, the state rep told me, wow, I did not know all this. We have to contact Rachel and tell her not to do this. Rachel has already said, no, I already have everything up. I'll just change it from celebration of Cal Demady Stewart legacy and just put, um, you know, recognizing domestic violence. That's why I was changed to recognizing domestic violence. Not because she decided that, but because I told her loud and clear that it was a disrespect to my family to be celebrating this lady's life and not celebrating my family, not taking a look at what went on in our household. She never interviewed no one from the Bennett family. She never talked to anyone from the Bennett family. My Uncle Willie is still alive to this day. She hasn't wrote a letter apologizing to my Uncle Willie. She wrote a letter apologizing to my aunt. My uncle was victimized in this. My uncle went to jail. The same tactics that they're trying to use 
to put me in jail, to get me to cop out and not sue the Commonwealth, is the same tactic they used to my Uncle Willie Bennett. They, they allowed him, they told him, we will not give you life as a habitual offender, we'll give you 12 to 20 years if you cop out on this armed robbery that they had no evidence for, but he had to cop out because he knew he was going to get life if he went to trial, and he took a 12 to 20 year sentence, and he did not sue for the Stewart case. Not one dime went into his account. Not one penny, because that was the deal, and that was the same deal she mm -hmm. was trying to place in front of me. And it, it uh, man, this is it, it's crazy, and it's so disappointing. It really is. It really is, because I was a person who did vote for her to be in that seat, and you know, she's not doing anything that benefits the black community. Like that's a whole you know, spit in the face to everybody, your family, all of the African-Americans in the city of Boston, if they know it or not, it's a spit in our faces. I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm telling you, I mean, you should have seen how fired up I was to hear that it was going on, to hear that. And I tried to attend the, the actual event. It started at 7 o'clock. My curfew was at 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. I asked her, can I participate? Can you please agree with my attorney to waive my curfew for the two-hour event that you're having in order for me to attend this? She said no, because she did not want me to be a part of that, because she knew that I would probably be a live wire and would expose all of the things that is going on, the injustice of right now, the injustice that I endured for 22 years. You know, the injustice that my family continues to endure. Like, this is something that is going on. It's been going on. You know, it's going to keep going on if we can keep allowing it to go on. And that's where I feel like I have to be the voice. I mean, I was the, I was the, I was the, I was the person that, you know, had to take the brunt of it. I'm going to continue to do that because I want people to understand that there are thousands of men and women that are incarcerated wrongfully right now with no one that's going to speak up for them. So I'm trying to do that. They talk about justice reform all the time. I need justice reform to begin. Exactly. To begin. And so, Joey, what what can people do, like our listeners, the people in this city, because, you know, like, this is Real Talk Boston, so obviously we're focused on our city. What can we do to help you in this situation? Right now, I feel like everybody that knows, that has a voice, that has has the political connections to get Rachel Rollins in here and ask her, why are you continue to prosecute this man when he has 16 witnesses that say he did not kill this person? You know, I, I, I read to someone, I seen an article one day in the Boston Herald in 2016 where a spokesperson said during a 12-year-old cold case, they were able to make an arrest on that, right? Mm -hmm. The quote was, at almost every unsolved homicide, we're one witness away from clearing the case. It's never too late for a witness to come forward. All right, so with that statement being said, I had 16 witnesses come forward over a 22-year span. It's, but they told them, why y'all coming forward now, 22 years later, 20 years later, 15 years later? Why are you coming forward now? Oh, it's too late. You should have came forward then. You know, so if you come forward... If you come forward for the defense, 
you can best believe that they're going to call you a criminal or a liar or you got some type of motive mm -hmm. to help, you know, to help the person that's in the situation. Not that the truth is coming out, but more so to discredit the truth. That's what they do when you come forward for a defendant. They discredit the truth. But if you come forward for the Commonwealth, oh, they praise you up. They find ways to, uh, you know, give you immunity. They give you a deal. They find you housing. They do all the things. But as a defendant, we can't offer you anything except for the police prying into your life and disturbing your life and disturbing your home. And that's what discourages people from coming forward today. Because they don't want these people in their home. They don't want these people. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I have people that know I was innocent. The whole city of Boston know I didn't kill this man. But nobody was going to speak on it because nobody wants to talk about it. Right. And thankfully to the people that came forward. It's 16 people that came forward. 16. So that means there's 184 more witnesses running the streets of Boston that know I didn't kill him. So I don't know the magic number. There might be, have to be a magic number in order for Rachel to say, well... Let's not continue on with this. Let's not try to get finality. Let's look for justice to be done. Because that's all I'm asking. When the judge gave me a new trial and his decision, he said justice was not done. In the interest of justice, I grant Mr. Bennett a new trial. But this is what she's screaming in the newspapers, that in the interest of justice, she wants to make things right. Why are you not making it right with me? Why are you not making it right with my case? Why are you not making this right? And why is it that when Joey has sat down with other people and tried to make some traction with telling the story, Rachel Rollins is telling people, don't talk to him anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. telling people, don't talk to him anymore. So why that? Why is oh, it yeah, I mean, allowing uh, people right, to help definitely. you access the resources you need to get your story told? So that's really why it's important for the listeners to, well, you know, I mean, uh, us who are going to be able to make the noise. <laughs> the people, the people that, the people that reached out to me, I'll tell you this: the, the lady Monica Cannon Grant reached out to me and told me this is an injustice. But then she fell back from me because the, she said that the city of Boston was like, "Yo, leave Rachel alone, like get away from that situation." I, I don't, I don't, I don't take this lightly, you know. And I reached out to her and asked her what was going on, and she said there was plans to do something for her in the future. From what I was told, there was something that was offered to her. She just had a new building in her name or whatever happened, I don't know. But yeah, that's what happened. They was told to leave me alone. Like, leave him alone. Do not support that. Do not support him. You know? And that's what that's what goes on in the city of Boston. The politics, the politicians. This is what they do. Yeah. Yeah. When they're afraid of you, they lock it's you up. It's political, you know? It's political. And like you just said, I mean, we, that's just a whole other subject. But that particular uh, character, Monica Cannon Grant, you know, who says that she's all for the community and social impact and accountability and blah, blah, blah. You know, at the drop of a dime, she drops, you know, drops her brother like a hot potato. So, and that's... that's Dropped us. Dropped my whole family. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't do nothing. After I took a picture with her. After I showed her the articles well, of the yeah, Stuart well, case. That's, a, that's, well, that's called clout chasing. And, that's called yeah, clout chasing. Okay. So we have we got that much from her, but anyway. Exactly. We have ten minutes. Yeah, we have ten understand. we have ten minutes left, you guys. So um Joey, tell us about like, you know, what's your next move, what you need people to do. Let us know how Say we can one more help. Time. I can't hear you. Say it one more time, repeat it. 
I said, let us know, let us know what we can do to help. What do you need people to do? Do you need letters? Do you need people need, out there with the picket signs? What's up? Support. I just can, I just need people to continue to support. Right now, the only person that can really help me is Rachel Rollins. Nobody else can do anything other than bring awareness to this. And that's all I ask for, to bring awareness. That's it. Bring awareness to wrongful convictions. Bring awareness to it. You know, there are guys that she can actually stop this. This is madness. She can stop this madness with a with a with a the same signature she's trying to put that sixty page brief in, she can stop it. She can reach out to my attorney and say, Look, all right, we know that we can't win at a retrial. We know there's not gonna be a retrial. We're throwing a Hail Mary by going to the appellate court in front of the three judges and we're trying to make sure that he gets, you know, go back to jail, but that's not the finality of the case. You know, that's what she wants, finality. She doesn't want justice for me. She wants finality for me. She wants justice for everyone else. You have you know? one minute left. And that's what I don't like, hearing that. All right, well, call back and let's get into all the good stuff. I sure will. Press 1 to refuse this. Thank you for using Securus. You may start the conversation now. Hey, Joe. Hey, we back. Yep, we are back. So, um, I know that, you know, during this time, you know, you were locked up for 22 years, that you were writing a book. And when you came out, you started a documentary about your life. So do you want to touch on that? Definitely. Um, yeah, while I was, while I was locked up, um, I, you know, being gone, I didn't know how to type. I didn't know how to use a typewriter. I didn't know my way around a keyboard. So... I purchased a typewriter because I knew coming home that everything was about typing and keyboards and everything else, and technology was all included in that. So I learned how to type by writing my life story. I started writing my life story about the things I've been through, the Stewart case, the Morningstar case, this current case that I'm, you know, dealing with. Um, and the thing that I was doing in the city of Boston as far as being an active impact player, gang member, whatever way you want to call it, writing all that stuff and um it, it was difficult because a lot of the guys that i relate to and was talking about in my book are no longer with me like my whole pretty much my whole immediate circle is dead mm. you know the, the guys that was with me up until i went to jail in january of 97 are all dead i missed them daily so when i wrote about them i wrote about times that i wish they were there it would become difficult for me to finish um I intend to do that. That's one of the things I intend to do, and I'm going to attack it once I get out. Because right now, I do have a day to come home, but I, you know, hopefully it's before the judges make a decision on my case so I can be home to go into court and listen to the case. But, you know, I started my documentary with Candid Bandits, um, a guy that I met in the yard in Concord. You know, like I said, yard time was based around me going to the yard. So my man used to always say, yo, we need some yard time entertainment. I used to run basketball tournaments where I would offer three-on-three basketball tournaments for $100. Whoever wins gets $100, you know, $33.33. However way you wanted to get paid, that's how you got paid. So those are the things I was doing in jail. I had a bus, uh, um, a caravan that I used to offer um, families rides to the jail. While I was in jail, I was doing this, you know. I was... I had bought a caravan. I had a um, van service. It was called No Days Off Transportation. You know, I was uh, transporting people's families to the jails, you know, transferring them back to their houses. Like, I was doing things that was 
similar to what I planned on doing when I got home. So when I got home, I started the documentary. You know, it was it was not the best times where we would finish a lot of things and some things wouldn't get done, but I wish that it would got done right now. And, you know, I'm going to continue that. I want to start a merchandise called Yard Time, um, Yard Time Merchandise. I'm looking forward to doing that. Me and my brother Aaron Wade, he just started a group. You know, based around yard time, he's, he's doing a group every Monday night at the Tobin Gym. It's a men's group where we offer resources for men that are coming home from prison, men that are homeless, that need help, men that need knowledge of what social media uh, was like. Ari, you said you would participate. Y'all would help me figure out some things to offer. You know, things are working out. Um, I was doing the youth mentorship where I was taking young men whose kids... Young, I was taking young kids whose father was in prison with me. I would take them to games, and you know, because their father wasn't there to do it. So their father would reach out to me like, "Yo, man, are you gonna take the um, kids to the basketball games? Can you take my son with you?" Most definitely, you know, through the Mission Safe program, they was um, providing us with um, tickets to different um, basketball games, football games, and I would give kids experiences. I would take people to these games and let their kids see what it's like to be stay in school and reach for something bigger than the streets. And they was enjoying it. So this whole situation interrupted a lot of things that were, yeah. I was putting together. Now, I, you know, I've seen all of these things, like, you just growing, you know, every, I would say, like, every month. You know what I'm saying, Joey? Like, you were just doing something new. Like, I want to know, I want to go touch on the kids a little bit. Like, what was their response to, you know, having these new experiences and you open their eyes to, like, you know, here you could be playing basketball or whatever. Like, what was their reaction to that? A lot of these kids was excited. They were all excited. They were all excited. Um, you know, most of the kids in the inner city don't get exposure to colleges. They don't know what college is like. They don't even know if they're going to finish high school. They don't even know if they're going to be alive the next day. So for me to take them to a basketball game or take them to a football game where they can see what you can do if you just prepare to, you know, to do the work. You have to do the work. You have to go to school. You have to be obedient in class. You have to get the grades. And you can be one of these people. So they was loving it. They was loving the experience. You know, to this day, some of them are looking for me to, like, where's he at? You know, it's unfortunate that I don't want to tell everybody that I was in jail, but the parents knew what the situation were. Yeah. The moms of these kids were so excited. The moms of these kids was like, thank you. You know, they would thank me. Because I was doing that. Like, I know that their men was in jail for the rest of their lives or some of them doing a lot of time that they'd be home when their kid would be 20 years old at school. So I was trying to make sure I could do that. I mean, I have two daughters, so I couldn't do it with my daughters. So I had to pick other kids that were not my kids. And I treat them like that because those are my friends I just left behind the wall. And I gave a lot of them guys promises that, yo, if you need me, I'll be there. And possibly my loyalty, man, was, was, was the reason that I'm back here, you know, because I wanted to be loyal to the guys I just left. And that's what the whole situation caused. So the DOC and the Commonwealth is all under one thing. It's it, all under one umbrella. And I just want to say this, that it's really unfortunate, you know, because it is affecting kids because you were just ripped out of their lives, just like their fathers were ripped out of their lives. And they probably feel like, okay, this is a continuing cycle, so fuck it, I'm just gonna do what it is that I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one sticks around for me. So that's really, that's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. And it is. 
And it really is. You know, it like, really is. Furthermore, furthermore, Joey, just to speak, you know, to kind of toot your horn, it's like you were doing all of this and you were out not even six months. You know, you're out there, but, you know, touching base with the children. You're trying to connect the brothers to the outside world, to the inside. So, you know, it's unfortunate that with such a little bit of time that you were out, you weren't selfish about it. You were really selfless about it. You've been inside for 22 years. Most people come out and they just want to party and live it up and get acclimated to what the new life is going to be. But you started getting your hands dirty. And that's really, you know, one of the main reasons we got to help this brother get out. Because he's trying to get out and, you know, really make an impact so other little brothers and little sisters won't go away. Yeah. He's doing he's doing things that, that, that like you're doing things that people don't want to happen because months before like me and Sunny were talking about like yo there needs to be a a program for young men to you know like when men come out of prison they need to connect with these boys in the street because they need they need that mentoring so that they're not heading down this road like. And, you know, you come out single-handedly, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course, you had help from people that, you know, donated or whatever, but... No funding, no funding, nothing, nothing. No, you know, just you by yourself. Yep, yep, I'm just just saying, like, you single... Me and my brother, me and my bro, Aaron, we would take these kids in our own cars. We didn't have a van. We didn't have that. We would power them in our cars. We would put them in our car. We would go. We would drive to this game. We would drive to Boston College. We would drive to different places. You know, we were trying to do it. We were trying to do it. And we weren't getting funded. The city wasn't funding that. Mayor Walsh wasn't funding that. Rachel Rollins' diversion program wasn't funding that. You know, Mission Safe was part of that. Definitely Mission Safe was a part of that. I have to acknowledge that because those were the people Mm -hmm. that decided, like, yo, we're going to help you as best as we can. You know, and the best that they can, they did what they needed to do, and that's fine. They taught us a lot, and now we started our own program, and we're going to continue to make this bigger and bigger. Y'all time is not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere unless they tell me I have to do this life sentence again. That's the only way I'm going to stop. No, you're not going to stop because now you have these connections, and we're going to keep pushing. Like, that's just what it that's is. Right. And this just literally that's right. raises. I was showing up at the state house, supporting the people that were there, showing up at the state house, trying to close solitary confinement in the Susan Baranowski Correctional Center that is going haywire right now with the COs. I was doing that. That, that was something I was mm-hmm. there, supporting those brothers that are talking in front of these panels. You know, um, some of them ain't reaching back, but I understand, you know, it's all a politics game. So they don't want to, you know, a lot of people don't want to be in line with me because I tell the truth. You know, I'm not a liar. I'm not sitting here trying to lie about things. And, you know, everything I say is fact-based. And you can look it up. You can see it for yourself, you know, and a lot of people can't do that. So a lot of people are doing it and parading in front of the cameras and act like this, this and that. But tomorrow they'll be doing another thing, you know. So, exactly. I mean, I'm a force to be reckoned with. Exactly. And this just for me just raises the question to the city, like, what are you really trying to do for the black community? What is that that that's that's just rhetorical. <laughs> like this man, you know, he comes out, he's sing he's single handedly picking up these children that everyone's so called worried about. You know what I mean? And he's Giving them experiences that they wouldn't have had if it, you know, if it wasn't for him. 
and you're trying to lock them up and you have no real reason to do this like exactly nothing to replace him with exactly funny so you know it's just sad it's a it's really sad story but just like i said we're gonna keep pushing and we're here to be your voice you know, we're gonna we're gonna figure something out. I appreciate you giving me this platform, your platform. You know, and I look forward to doing other things and including y'all in the things that I plan on doing. You know, because it's not it's not just about men; it's about women too. Women are incarcerated. There are women that are in Framingham and South Bay that that want to be home, that wanted that got kids, that want to be with their kids. That you know, Rachel Rollins' office is deciding to prosecute and take off the street and take away. You know, there's a lot of things that I could speak on about her and her family. You know, her brother's in the federal prison right now. Her sister's doing things out there. That's what the whole thing is about. Like, you know, don't keep picking and choosing who you want to help. If you're going to help everybody, help everybody. You know, you know what I'm saying? The ones that want to get in trouble, fine. That's fine and dandy. But the ones that are trying to do something, support them. Show them that you're going to help. You walk into these prisons and you tell people in these prisons that, you know, yeah, I'm going to have my um, first assistant look at your case. You know, we creating an integrity conviction unit. But mm-hmm. you ain't letting nobody out. If you listen to my interviews, you'll hear the guy say, look, yeah, I was talking to Rachel. She said she's going to look at my case. The Stephen Peters, the old dear Fernandez's, you know, the John Evans, mm-hmm. the Jeffrey Brittles, you know, the, the Raymond Gaineses. You know, there's guys that are behind the wall that need somebody to look at their case, that they had the injustice, but nobody's not doing that for them. You know, Stephen James, like, come on, the Innocence Party just had his case and dropped him. You know, like, come on, like, there's people that are sitting in these jails for no reason, man. And you got 28 years out of these people. I just did 22. You got 28, you got 30, you got 32, you got 36 years. These are human lives that should have been wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Men that all they need is one more opportunity at life, one more shot at it, you know? I have a friend that sits on her advisory board that told her, yo, he really didn't do it. Like, if he's sitting on your advisory board and he's telling you I didn't do it, then why are you still trying to put me back in jail? I don't know. There's something there. But, you know, everything comes to light, as they say. Everything comes to light. (laughs) Yeah, you know. But, Come on, my family, the reason why I know, my family, the reason why she's a district attorney right now. My family, why she got that criminal justice degree? Why are you not looking into my shit? Like, come on, that's crazy. Like, you went to school off of the, the pain of my family, and you're still victimizing my family. Still. Absolutely. And not doing your job, because that is your job. That is just a responsibility to look into this. But it seems like she's just taking the... The easy, the easy road, the easy road, the easy road. My girl Missy right there, boy, Missy misdemeanor, baby. That's where she stops. That's where the fuck stops with her, honey. But I just want to say thank you, Joey, for one letting us have this interview with you because, um, you know, as everyone should know, that he's never, he's never told the story. Exactly. He's never, never told the story, story. to I never told the Charles Stewart case. I never talked about the Morning Star case. I never talked about the Rose Club case. I never talked about my Grove Hall case. They sent me to life. They gave me life. They gave me 18 to 20. They gave me a 9 to 10. They gave me 4 to 5. They gave me 4 to 5. They gave me another 4 to 5 for a gun that they found in my house. 
So I got a whole shitload of time. I was supposed to see parole in 2021. They told me I was going to see parole in 2021. That's next year. I got out before parole. Exactly. And that's why you got to keep pushing. Somebody's on your side and people are going to hear this. This interview will be everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere we could possibly drop it in an inbox. For people to reach out. Exactly. Ari, to you, Sonny. If they have any questions, if they want to talk to me again, go through through Sonny. Go through Ari. You can talk to me. I don't have a problem with talking. That's the problem. Rachel don't want me to talk. So she sat me down and shut me up. You know? That's what it was. And, and that's fine. No, you have a voice. You have a channel right here. So you can right here. Exactly. You'll be your voice so you can come out. Absolutely. And we're just going to keep pressing this issue. Um, just like you said, anybody that's listening, please inbox us, DM us, write it on our wall. <laughs> Wherever, however you got to get in contact with us. I'm a realtor, so my phone number's out there. My email's out there. Everything's out there. So get in contact. Yeah, Ari's gonna put up. Yeah, Ari, Ari's gonna put up the um the judge's decision. Yes. So y'all can see. I don't know where she's gonna put it up, but she's gonna get it up one of these days. I'm going to put it up. The, the judge's decision will go out with this interview. Sunny, did you want to say something? Did you want to say something, Sunny? We got four minutes. Yeah, Joey, I just want you to plug your yard sign. What is it on Facebook? Tell people how they can get to the page. All right, my page is, my, my, my personal page is Joseph Bennett on Facebook. It's uh, Mr. Two Bennett 2009 on Instagram. Um, I'm already supposed to hook me up with a yard time Instagram page. So uh, you can find my yard time group. My, 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 you can find my yard time group on um. You know, it's a private group, but I'm about to make it public because, you know, I want it to be out there. Like, people are listening. That's all I want y'all to do is continue to support. You know, if you know someone that's incarcerated, be the voice for them. Help them come home. Help them. That's all I ask. Like, you know, don't let it stop now. Don't let it stop with me. Don't let it stop with the rest of the guys. Like, continue continue to push forward, regardless of how many times. I got three appeals denied. It took a third appeal. It took four appeals for me to come home. So, you know, it's never too late, as they would say, unless it's for the defendant. (laughs) Yep. So So, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank Thank you, you, everybody, for tuning in to Real Talk Boston, the raw... Raw interview that we just raw completed. Interview. <laughs> and we'll be bringing Joey back again. So this is not the last time you'll be hearing those two minutes on real Yes, he will be co-hosting all all of that. So thank you guys so yeah, much for listening. Come home, you. The day I come home, you'll see a video of me dancing on the courtroom steps all over again. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Okay. Y'all time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Y'all time, Real Talk Boston. We out.